Hello. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome to another episode of Talk Architecture Podcast. I'm your host, Naziati Muhammad Yaqob. Today, we will talk about the underlying meaning behind any intent of any project, of any endeavor, of any build, of anything that as an architectural designer or an architect is doing. And the underlying meaning, does it regard for authenticity that is being authentic, that is being original and genuine and truthful? Is that something that we seek for around us, within us? When we say something, we really mean it? Well, recently, in the last weeks, I was confronted with telling it like it is or say it is or it isn't, you know, and I was speaking from understanding what a community project is. That's why I just had to say that something that was said in public to be an ideal example of community project is not really a community project. Well, people don't directly approach me or reproach me for that. They, well, it's Twitterverse, right? So somebody who's, who didn't like what I said, just tweeted and okay, fine. I don't really want to engage in debates about it because all I did was calling out something that I don't think is something that he says it is. Authenticity or being original and genuine is the crux of it. And there's one case, the community projects, um, what do you call it, debate, which I am in, but I don't wish to engage uh, in, you know, I don't, I don't want to engage in actually um, putting people down. And sometimes it can be libelous, defamatory. So I don't want to be engaging in that, you know. Whatever that you put out on uh, social media can get back at you. What I did was I just call it out because the Prime Minister was saying that it's a good example of community projects. You know why I feel so compelled to do that? Because I don't really want to engage with all this, but because I know people take it personally, you know, and uh, I don't know why it is defended so vehemently. And there are others who also defended it. Um, However, what I said, because I'm so concerned being someone who is actually an educationist and also a practitioner, a design practitioner, if not 
architectural design. I hope that building uh, or renovating or uh, home modifications, um, design and build, or um, doing design projects, even if they're not built, or master planning, or, for example, the bus stop. I hope that that could constitute as projects that are worth saying that I am also a practitioner. I'm not just someone who, you know, dwell in an ivory tower. I'm not, I'm not one of those who who shout out from the top and don't really go to the ground. But anyway, I just, I had to say it in this podcast, but the point I'm trying to make is something else triggered me. I mean, it's not triggering, but it's more like of concern is someone, I, I can't reveal this one either. It's, it's putting on a label. For example, if you are in a business and you're a big corporation and you want to label a project or projects of yours as universal design, but it's not. So, for example, um, uh, I did the bus stop and with the help of a lot of other um, graduates from University of Malaya and others who helped as well in Kuala Lumpur City Hall, we did that bus stop and I don't want to claim it's universal design. I try to pitch that it's universal design and try to do as much universal design for it. And it is a collaborative project, but I will not state that it's universal design unless validated by the users. And then... I could vouch that it could be validated by the blind users or the physically disabled ones if the system follows through, you know, like there's a digital application and some form of wayfinding and navigation for the blind people, uh, for blind persons and for the physically disabled persons, there's a system for them to embark and disembark. Then I would say it's for blind users and physically disabled users, but the validation later should be by all the other users, including mental disabled persons, intellectually disabled persons, and deaf persons. You know, deaf persons do, uh, says it's okay, but I'm sure in the system, somehow it is not 100% universal design. So when you put it out there, a product, and you say this product is multi-generational, this product is universal design, Okay, and it 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 does it's not universal design when people use it. It's not multi generational when concept when um people use it. So, what does it say about you? I'd be very careful, you know, if I put it out there that I you know if I put it out that it's universal design and I'm saying for sure it's universal design, and that brand is reflecting on me, you know, I really, really have to make sure that it's universal design. But I can't say for sure. Now, validation of something like the community projects, for example, that is really, truly, honestly, community projects. Validation of that comes from the community. And who are the community? Who are the members of the community? I mean, for sure, that people who are within the radius of maybe 400 meters, 
uh, half a kilometer or kilometer or even five kilometers around the site are the real community anywhere. The locality is called Genius Loci, isn't it? The locality, when we talk about sensorial experience, about phenomenology, about um, community facilities that even the planners would put in the planning uh, documents that a particular neighborhood should have, right? I mean, you, you know, uh, out of your gate or out of your, um, um, you know, uh, house to the gate, out to the streets, you'd want to have access to shops, walking, yeah, by walking to shops, to um, place of worship, to schools, to um, restaurants. You'd want to have that um, whole, uh, what do you call it, um, social, uh, uh, social, because you live in Kuala Lumpur, you pay a premium for your, for the price of your house, or you stay in, not even Kuala Lumpur, you stay in, in cities around Kuala Lumpur, Shah Alam, or Petaling Jaya, or, you know, Klang, uh, or whatever cities, there, there is a local authority and the local authority uh, previously when they planned the city they made sure of facilities that you can have access to including parks and recreation right correct so these facilities should be accessible to you without you having to open a gate i mean you can use it probably their opening hours like for for example a library maybe it's open from 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. because people want to go and read, um, what do you call it, um, um, you know, read books after office hours. I mean, a recreational facility, um, could it be, you know, for the people that live around certain places that are community facilities, they were the beneficiary of it. They, they, they benefit from having such facilities available by walking distance. So these places are planned out. All right. So now, of course, let's look at it another way, right? Let's look at it another way that certain places do not have the facilities open to them, do not have the facilities readily available to them. So we can see um, discrepancies in terms of the planning, in terms of allocation, budget, in terms of how things developed over the years. For example, we have done a lot of these social housing yeah, in Kuala Lumpur, in Kampong Krinchi. Now, people may argue with me, but I found out that there is a uh, sports center near Kampong Krinchi. Yes. But it's the, the density of the population. If you have like a huge amount of a number of people, a high density area, you should have not just one sports center, you should have a few others or recreational facilities more than um, that is allocated normally. You should have because there's a lot of high rise social housing projects in, at Kampong Krinchi, for example. So... Um, yes, I, I, I interviewed someone who lived in that area and she said the, her recreational activity is walking on the pavement and sometimes there's cars parked on the pavement. So she has to walk on the road leading towards a park and that park is not really readily open from 
that side. So, or, you know, you have to find a kink in the fence to actually go in, but it's, there is no um, proper pathways from this other side, Kampong Krinchi. There are proper pathways from the Ptaling Jaya side of um, this park. Um, I forgot the name of the park. Bukit Gasing, sorry. So um, from Jalan Gasing, you can go to Bukit Gasing. So maybe it's because also because of the accessibility or it's not open or they, you know, they just walk on the pavement from the social housing area at Kampong Krinchi to the edge of the park. You can see the trees, but you can't really enjoy the park. Then they have a field, but the field is uh, not well maintained. They have they don't have pockets of spaces uh, in and around the um, the social housing area, and generally it's it's not really inspiring. They have at the other side of the highway a park for them to go to, but it's not walking distance. Now we know that uh, when we talk about community projects, we could focus community projects in. Um, areas where there are the rich people or areas where there are the poor people. So in, I'm just giving you in a case, an example of Bangsa, which we have a lot of rich people, but of course people who may want to, um, be, who are not rich in Bangsa areas, such as the, the maids or the migrant workers or people who are more of the working, what do you call it? Um, working class. There are people of working class around Bangsa as well. But if we compare it to Kampong Krinchi, many, many are in the working class and the urban poor and even below the um, salary uh, cap or, I mean, in terms of the bottom line or fall underneath the, uh, uh, what do you call it, the uh, bottom line, the bottom salary? Is it 1,005 or is it 1,008? I forgot now what, what it is. But... Yeah, what we can say um, is that if I were to choose to do community projects, I would focus on the have-nots. But it's not easy because there are a lot of complicatedness, obviously, and it's not sexy because there is no nice space to play around with, you know, like a nice green belt or piece of land. So... There are other places as well in Petaling uh, Jaya Old Town. You have the K, um, railway station, a green patch of green that you can develop, you know, um, in Petaling Jaya Old Town. Um, you really need some community projects as well, but in a different context. But in Campo Grinchi, it's so obvious. We did a project, well, one of our students came up with a project to actually create recreational strip along the roads and structures so people can do exercises uh, like on sky bridges or something like that, that link to the, um, to the uh, what do you call it? Uh, the blocks of, uh, blocks of um, accommodation. And uh, well, that was, it was an interesting idea, interesting concept. Um, in which, of course, it, it make it will cost more money, and who would want to pay for that amount of money in a um, uh, um, an area where you have a lot of the urban poor, right? 
So and I know some people would debate that these people are not really poor and stuff like that. And but I mean, who wants to live in an area where um, you don't have many community facilities? You know, so that is more real that the, the data is they are actually poor and there are, have been research around this uh, of the population to find out that they are authentically uh, of the urban poor. So. Now, there is also another debate. Another one is saying that why would you do community projects in places that are um, where the rich are? But actually in the periphery or inside that area, there are people who are poor. But um, anyway, this is still up for debate. And also that you, okay, the, the, the argument was people from all around Kuala Lumpur can come to um, the strip of land um, to appreciate nature and to appreciate what has been done there. Um, so why that piece of land in that community, why not in another piece of land which is nearer to nearer for everyone and in a, an area where you have better, infrastructure could it be near an mrt station for example you know it's a, it's a right for a debate i'm not saying that i'm correct what i'm saying is that is that when we talk about community projects and we try to find a site for it we really have to really study the areas you know yeah I, i'm thinking more of the pataling jaya old town railway tracks area where there's a strip of land and it can even be a botanical garden which is what Chiang He did for his project. Please check it out. Uh, in this podcast, you have Chiang He talking about this project, the Botanic Garden, where he relocated the railway station from the less obvious point to the point that is more of the gateway into to regenerate, giving a sense of place for Patalin Jaya Old Town. Of course, the... Uh, Powers that be wants to create this area uh, as another place to have a lot of high-rise buildings. We know that, but but this area is an, uh, one of the earliest uh, neighborhoods in Pataling Jaya. So they, you still have a lot of people living there, and even school children with school-going age. So um, one could discuss about the best place to have a community project you know um it's not a static reason the you know it's 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 no other reason than it is needed a community project is needed to be done because that in that area it is needed to be done it's needed by the community and that is the sole justification of a community project. If a, if a community don't really need whatever that you propose or the programs that you propose, it is not a community project. As simple as that. The authenticity is based on the, um, the underlying meaning and the underlying intent of what the, um, the person proposed that the project to be. I just take any of my students, any of my students who are doing, uh, well, my ex-students, or I'm no more a lecturer, but, you know, any of the students who are um, doing a design thesis project, if they want to justify 
what they want to justify doing, they would really want to study about the community. If you want to go for community urban design um, solutions, finding a site is crucial in the sense that what you're going to propose on that site, you have come up with the design problem that really is based on the research that you've done in the area that that is needed. If there was supposed to be a, what is needed is a hospital, then the hospital should be built on that site. Whether or not that that site originally is targeted for that function, it could be the local authority wants that site to be a petrol station. But but you studied and you thought, okay, this is a government land, but it should be a botanical garden or it should be a a kindergarten, you know, something that then justify further. Now, yeah, often designers, they, they, they try to justify, they try to go and fit, you know, what their intention, what they want, what their vision is to, to the site without having a lot of regard for what actually the community wants the site to be, right? So you can just jump and you can take a, a parachute and you jump on the land and say, okay, I've jumped on this land and this is my vision for the land. And I'll go out and try to get permission to, to put that vision on this land. I mean, a lot of people do that in the previous past, you know, just, just, uh, aggressively go at, into the land and try to occupy the land. In fact, there's a lot of people, I mean, um, who would just want to, um, rear some chickens or some, um, a bit of animals and, um, uh, plant some banana plants or other plants or fruit trees, occupy a land temporarily seeking for temporary license. And other people around there could make, uh, complaints about that. I mean, a lot of people have a lot of ideas about land and in between, um, buildings, which they could, um, generate some income or make it their own little piece of the world. So there's a lot, there's a lot to be debated about what is the definition of a community project and what is community project. And um, my angles that I've, I've debated this is coming from as, a, as an architecture educationist for many years on the design problem and that you should um, research on research first whether that intensity you want that vision you want is actually fulfill the needs of the community in the first place so then you would argue that who are the community really but you know the first set of people that has to agree to your idea other people um like i said going back to the points that i made earlier when you come out of your gate you want to walk to the grocery store you want to walk to the cafe you know, all the community facilities, including recreational facilities, the first thing that um, you are the one having the right to have access to what you want, to what you need. Like I want to have access to a playground, which I know that is um, walking distance from where I live, but there is a gate there. There is already a barrier that I have to, I can't walk to the other side, so I have to take my car. So defeat the purpose of walking. Walking is number one thing in terms of health, 
um, to help you get healthy, you know. And older persons are more and more in that area. So really, um, this debate, put it down to bed, this debate, that the community projects have to be an authentic one based on the needs of the people around it. Not Community is not anyone in Kuala Lumpur that would like to come to that area. And that's the end of the debate, really. So if we as designers, professionals, architecture educationists, urban designers, planners, built environment professionals do not want to be truthful in our intent and our service for the community and the clients. Who are the clients, by the way? We've sidelined a lot of the community. Where are our consciousness with regard to providing public spaces for the community and all communities, including the vulnerable people? Yeah, older persons, children. So if we, this group of professionals, are not truthful in our vocation and our intent, then what are we? Are we just bank robbers and vandals? <laughs> Sorry, bank robbers. No, no, we're not going to rob a bank. You know, the thing is, this integrity and this um, authenticity that, you know, a piece of work is authentic because it has the right intent is such a big deal. And I guess that we really need to connect to ourselves. Our mind connects to our bodies, our consciousness and our intent. And we should revise from time to time. And if some of us are lost, we should remind those who are lost to get back on track. Because if we as the, these professionals, this group of professionals of the built environment are not you know, doing what we should be doing, then where are we? Unless we are actually developers. Okay, that's another story. If we are actually developers with intent of gaining something, even though it's not seen to be that we are making money, but we are, do gain because of maybe branding or marketing or something like that, because we are developers. So I'm in a business as well. I am in my business, but, you know, my marketing is a different way because I'm doing mental health, yeah? I'm doing universal design. So whether someone wants to buy my services or not, it's up to them. It's not easy, but I'm not a developer for sure. I actually have to help developers to train the architects, you know, or uh, to be much more better at universal design, for example. So... So if you're really a developer and you are great at being a developer, good, good on you. Uh, I hope you'll do very good quality architecture, quality spaces, very sensorial, you know, phenomenological intent, you know, and making it the best, greatest uh, design and product that you can be. But to call it a community project, you got to, make sure that you revise that because it is not really. So thank you for listening to this podcast and I hope you can listen to the next podcast. And we like to celebrate that this podcast is the number one podcast 
for um, architectural education based on a UK website and also the second in UK architecture podcast. So we didn't intend to go and um, go for ranking because I've always been kind of not really agreeable to rankings for universities, but it's always great to be validated by our peers out there listening to our content. And this podcast is very simple. There's monologue, there is interviews. We hope that we could do more interviews. And I'm in interested in interviewing, similar to um, what we've done uh, uh, recently, two persons, uh, a duo, a combo, or even three persons being interviewed who are both practitioners and also teach in schools of architecture. That would be really a great, um, you know, just just positions, just position of uh, maybe it could be contradictions uh, there in terms of the identities or they would have a lot of um, thoughts and a lot to say regarding the state of architecture education. Architecture education is always the core of the podcast that we do uh, because it starts with architecture education that we have architects. So there's always that intent. And so with that, I'd like to say thank you again for coming to the podcast and have a good day wherever you are. Thank you.